Welcome to the BMO Road to Recovery podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bulls. Businesses have begun to turn their focus to the future beyond the COVID-19 pandemic, but the playbook of the past won't work in the future. In this series, we hear from experts across a variety of industries and professions that offer ideas on how leaders can address some of the critical facets of work and life that have and will continue to fundamentally change how businesses operate. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Hello and welcome to another episode of Road to Recovery, Expert Conversations. I'm your host, Eric Bowles. We've been talking in this series about how 2020 has changed and will continue to change how we all live and work. But for children, the impact is amplified. Their worldview is being shaped during this unprecedented time. And that will make this generation much different than any other we've seen. My guests today bring insights from the past and present to understand how 2020 will shape a generation. Cheryl Cran is the CEO and founder of Next Mapping, an organization that does research on the future of work and the leadership needed to navigate change in the workplace. Dr. Loris Musio is an author and historian, and Yogesh Amli is the Managing Director of Technology Investment Banking at BMO. I wanna thank all of our guests for joining me today. Uh, we are gonna jump right into it, and this first question is gonna be for you, doctor. The COVID pandemic has obviously been the headline of a chaotic 2020, but it's also been a year heightened by racial inequality and civil unrest, as well as political polarization. Are there points in history that we can look at that had a similar generational defining event? Thanks very much, Eric. Uh, and I'm, I'm very, very pleased to be here with my, uh, my fellow interlocutors. Uh, the short answer to your question is yes. Uh, there are points in history during which people and institutions face tremendous challenges. And those challenges came not in ones, but they came often in threes or fours. That's what we're feeling today, I think, that uh, uh, exposed disparities and divisions. Now, there have been also times when societies have been challenged with medical, uh, wartime or economic emergencies, uh, social unrest and the like. And I'd like to make two quick points that uh, our long-run experience offers. Uh, first, we talk about normal times and unprecedented times, right? And the fact is that our businesses and our citizens and our people and all the things that the, the way we do things is built on both, right? So we, we build up our systems in normal or ordinary time, but you know, also up and down the decades, our experience has also been shaped by our responses to the unprecedented times like the times we're facing now. And these times kind of test our perseverance and resilience. So they shape us to rebalance what needs to change and what needs to endure. That's one. The second thing I would say very quickly is I think people need to hear as a lesson from history that those generation defining events we talk about are ultimately within our reach to shape, right? And to control even on specific questions like what we do about racial or generational inequality. And that's what we see if we take the long view. Eric? Oh, thank you so much for that, doctor. Uh, this next question is going to be for you, Cheryl, and uh, kind of in the same lines, but how has this year impacted young people differently than adults? 
Well, we, you know, as, as Dr. Lawrence said, we are in unprecedented times. These changes are including the COVID pandemic, the uh, racial inequality, as you mentioned, all these things are deeply impacting all generations. But for the purpose of speaking about Gen C, which has been labeled as Generation COVID, and that's for those that are under the age of 17, and we would actually overlap with the young adults that are in their college years or in that early education years as well, post-secondary uh, school, is that what we're seeing is that they, for them, this is a, what we would call a pivotal lifetime moment or a lifetime lesson in the realities of change and disruption. And so, uh, you know, for millennials, they have had to adapt to technology in the last decade. For Gen Cs, technology has been the lifesaver in this pandemic. It has allowed them to stay connected. It has allowed them to stay uh, communicating. It has allowed them to be schooled remotely. Uh, imagine if this pandemic had happened even a decade ago, we would not have been positioned for it. But from a generational standpoint, this is a generation that's being deeply affected by social change around how their parents have handled the pandemic, how it's affected their uh, economic reality, how it's affected the way they connect. Uh, some parents, and this is an anecdotal comment, some parents have said that this past year has allowed them to be more present in their Gen C's life and therefore uh, have deeper familial connections, which would harken back to the times of the traditionalists and the post-war times of family when everybody ate dinner together and such. So I think what we're seeing is societal impact for Gen C, obviously for all the generations, but I think we're going to see ripple effects from uh, the impact of what's happening in 2020 on Gen C for many years to come. Oh, thank you so much, Cheryl. Uh, I want to, before I go to my next question, that's going to be for Doctor again. Uh, I want to let our audience know who is who are all engaging with us. Thanks so much. Please send in your questions for our uh, our experts today. We will love to be able to answer them at the end. So this next question is for you, Doctor. And the question is: How have past generations adapted during radical uncertainty? It's a, it's a great follow-up question to what, uh, what Cheryl's been saying about, uh, about Gen C. And yes, uh, it very much feels like we're in uncharted territory. And in uncharted territory, what's, what's the use of experience? There's no playbook, uh, the crisis mutates in real time, and so forth. Yet, there are some precedents to this unprecedented uh, uh, period. And experience can guide us and does offer some direction. And there's another thing that you know uh, that uh, Cheryl was mentioning that radical uncertainty can fall unequally on uh, on different groups. Uh, like for example, we're talking about Gen C, but how about Gen Z or Gen Z if you're in Canada, like I am? Uh, Gen Z is graduating into a world of let's say citywide lockdowns, as Cheryl has explained. Gen C has its own issues. Gen Xers, uh, my generation, we're 900 years old now, but we've already had a taste of that by graduating into, into the late 1980s and 1990s recession and so forth. And so I think a lot of the lessons kind of focus on, on leadership, the need to understand uh, what, the, what the needs of these uh, generations are in, a, in this kind of radically uncertain time and to act decisively with all those generational and demographic uncertainties in mind, right? So I would say for corporate and public leaders, I think strategic insight matters. And in this situation, especially, maybe that's why we're having this conversation as well, to remaining open to, uh, to unconventional views and a diversity of thought. And that's, I think, one of the things of the pandemic of 2020 is teaching us or reminding us of these lessons. 
there are there are things that we can learn, but there are things that that we kind of need to understand from our experience in order to to deal with these things that the things that Cheryl's talking about, things that I'm talking about as well. Doctor, thanks so much for that. I I was actually talking to some individuals who kind of fit in both those categories uh, here recently, Gen C as well as Gen Z, and uh, their approach to it was fascinating. The, their 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 resiliency uh, is what was amazing to me. Uh, uh, and, and their approach to it. So uh, those issues you just made about leadership is just right on. I just believe they're, the way they're looking at things is so radically different in many cases in the way they we do. They may take the same uh, principles, but how they repurpose it or how they evaluate and innovate off of it is fascinating. Um, this next yeah. question leads perfectly into uh, for Yogesh, and that is, we've seen a lot of innovation in 2020 out of necessity. So what have some of the most game-changing innovations been? Sure, Eric. And first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, I do want to maybe make a comment on the previous two you know, questions that you asked and really interesting comments, right? From, you know, both from Cheryl and from Dr. Lawrence around the impact or the role of technology here today. Um, and, you know, just to you know, rewind back in history, I cannot imagine how life would have been in the last pandemic where we didn't have technology or we didn't have, you know, the technology to help us all get connected. Um, I believe I mean, world would have been really different back then. Um, and I think one of the big life savers I think today has been the fact that we have technology to help us all get connected, and, and not just for individuals because. As Cheryl said, you know, with respect to the impact of this on COVID, C, on, on, on Gen C, um, I think this is having a real impact on businesses as well. Um, so I would say that I think innovation, uh, as we all say, necessity is the mother of all invention. Um, and I think innovation has been pretty active uh, all through in technology and it is uh, the hotbed, um, especially here in Silicon Valley. Uh, but I think what's interestingly happened is I think the pace of innovation, if anything, I think has just gotten even more quickened or I think is going to be even more faster. Right. So, you know, you talk about the fact that what do we need to be connected to our individual worlds? So we are seeing, you know, obviously a rapid acceleration around adoption of digital transformation technologies, uh, not just for individuals, for businesses. Uh, I think it's imperative for businesses to be online and be, you know, uh, in front of their customers uh, through technology. Uh, and I think that goes hand in hand with also, you know, other places where we're going to see, you know, innovation happen quickly. Not just, I think, from a core technology perspective, uh, but also other areas that have been impacted, you know, whether it's medical sciences, you know, whether it's how do we deal with the next, you know, pandemic if it comes, uh, or how do we make sure that, we have the resiliency to survive uh, another you know storm that comes through so i think multiple you know places i would say technology is going to have uh, or innovation is going to get accelerated uh, but it's, uh, it's 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 definitely an interesting topic yeah uh, Yogesh, thank you so much for that. Uh, a, a quick reminder to the audience, please send in your questions uh, for our experts here. We'd love to uh, allow them to answer those when we get uh, to the end. But as you were just talking about 
the speed of technology and the adjustment, Rogish, uh, 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 when Yogesh, when you made that comment, uh, there was uh, the the last session that we had. One of the users were like, "Before technology was a platform, uh, now we find it being the platform." And so the the adjustment that so many companies are making, it's just been heightened. Uh, with that being said, this next question is for you, Cheryl. And that question is, technology has been an increasingly integral part of life for millennials and Gen Z. How has the accelerated innovation we've seen in 2020 changed how Gen Z wants to use technology? Well, you know, I, I love that question. And it's so inspiring to me when I look at the stories of Gen Zs who are leveraging what's happening into solutions, not just by leveraging technology, but leveraging healthcare innovation and leveraging well-being innovation. There was just a story yesterday of a young lady who at 17 has discovered a protein that can be used to help solve the COVID challenge. So we're talking about young people now who are seeing this time as an opportunity to solve world problems. Uh, not to overly optimize the situation or glamorize it, but honestly, Gen C inspires me the number of stories that I could relate to tell you of how they're looking at what's happening as an opportunity for solution. Part of the reason they can do that is, you know, on Maslow's hierarchy, they're not dealing with survival, like perhaps uh, the 1918 pandemic created that survival reality, because a lot of the Gen Zs are, they have a roof over their head, they're being fed, and of course I'm talking about uh, middle class, there's disparities to that, that comment. But generally, if their survival needs are met, then that increases the opportunity to have higher, higher realization of solutions and creative innovations. So I think Gen Z is rising to the challenge. They're saying we've got this global problem and because they're so interconnected and because they can crowdsource and because they can data connect and because they leverage technology for good, now let's not get into the negative part of social media and technology, that's a whole other dialogue with the, the younger generations, but generally, Generally, they're saying, let's rise to the situation's challenge and let's come up with solutions. I get super excited about it. Cheryl, that's such a great insight. When you brought up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I didn't consider that, that through this pandemic, yeah, it's tough, but their survival needs are pretty much met. So they're living in a place of innovation and it's going to create unbelievable innovation we see from it. Man, I th thank you for that insight. I, 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 I didn't connect that until you just made that mention. Uh, with that being said, this is going to be a question for all three of you. And I'm going to begin with you first, Cheryl. But the question is, how should businesses adapt to the needs of their employees and their customers with technology, especially when you may have baby boomers, Generation X, millennials, Gen, Gen Z, and Gen Z in one environment? I want to begin that with you, Cheryl. Thank you. So. Honestly, every generation, in my opinion, technology can only be leveraged when it's focused on people first. So if we look at technology and answering the question, how is this technology going to make life easier, better, or simpler, or more connected for everyone, then we can all leverage technology for good. And I think we're seeing that happen. You know, from a, a, a corporate perspective and the clients that we work with, you know, leveraging tools like Microsoft Teams or leveraging Zoom, as we've seen, since the pandemic started, leveraging video technology. For Gen C, Gen Z, and for millennials, they have often seen Zoom or FaceTime as face-to-face. -face. They didn't have that mental block of, unless we're in person, it's not meaningful. So I think what we're seeing is that technology, if it's a bridge to helping us solve problems, if we're leveraging it for connection, if we're leveraging it to bring the globe together, which is what we're doing, then every single generation, I believe, post-pandemic, 
we will have made huge leaps and bounds in leveraging technology for good. And I think, you know, with increased privacy, with increased um, monitoring of cyberbullying, with all the, the inherent challenges of technology, I think we're going to see solutions to that as well. Thank you so much for that, Sheriff. Yogesh, I'm asking the same question of you. Will you build upon that? Sure. No, happy to. Um, so I think, you know, like, I think we talk about a concept which is called consumerization of enterprise technology, right? And I think it's all about how do you make technology easy to consume, uh, easy to deliver and easy to consume, right? And I think with the different, as you said, like different stakeholders that we have, right? You've got the baby boomers on one hand, you've got the millennials on the other hand. And I think each one of us requires, I think, a easy way or a more intuitive way to consume the technology. Um, and I think that's basically what's what's going to happen, right? So I think you see, you know, enterprises or you see businesses that have, you know, been brick and mortar for the longest time um, and have had to now make the change to be online or get digital. So we're seeing that acceleration, I think, on the digital transformation side. Uh, and I think that's being enabled by the core technologies. But I would say there is also, there are, you know, uh, enabling technologies that I think are gonna help, uh, I think make the, or, you know, make that bridge. Um, so um, I think that's one. Um, and the second thing I think I should hit on this, which is I think important to keep in mind is also this concept around the understanding of technology for the various generations, right? And I think that goes hand in hand with concerns like privacy, like security, right? It's very easy, you know, if I were to, you know, send something to my mom, I'm sure she will click on every single link that you send her, right? So I think it's important to also educate the various generations around what the impact of technology or consuming technology is around things like privacy, uh, because I think that's going to be really important, um, you know, um, I think factor to consider as we, you know, move forward. Oh, thank you. How about you, doctor? Well, uh, I think uh, I, I can only second uh, what uh, Cheryl and Yogesh uh, are saying uh, uh, to a very large extent. I think that if you just uh, look around the, you know, the, these windows here uh, this morning and you see when we started out, uh, what kind of technology we had, uh, you know, in our in our schooling and our graduate schools and so forth and our early careers compared to what we've got now. There is a really huge step change, so you can imagine uh, what you know Cheryl was saying about about um, uh, kind of digital natives uh, in generation in generation C and how much uh, more let's say potential they would have in leveraging the technology that Yogesh is talking about that great kind of consumerization. I think that there is a um, let's put it this way: there is that that uh, balance between um uh dynamism and form okay so i think what we're talking about is the potential of unleashing the technology uh and unleashing it for for good for the creative spark for uh you know you know to uh foster innovation to uh further science and so forth and i think that is absolutely correct the shadow side of it right is the uh, is not to be underestimated in terms of of how uh how we set the rules of the road, right? And so that is the dynamic part, the technology part, the wonderful part, the form. It's like what ends up on the cutting room floor, right? Uh, in terms of values, in terms of uh, regulation, in terms of uh, 
what the what the governments have to do with it. Uh, so, and and I think that 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 discussion has to be had in the United States. It's 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 looking to let's say the courts or say certain uh, uh, constitutional values. Uh, in other jurisdictions like Canada, there are norms and conventions uh, that we say, well, look, you know, that there are some things that we would want uh, the technology to unleash, but there are others that we we need to kind of see what the kind of the kind of the the public interest is in it, right? And so, uh, and I think every generation has tried to. Uh, come to terms with that, that dynamic part and the form part, the structure part and the technology part. And I think this is the great challenge of, of the 2020s, frankly, is how we're going to do that. And so we see, because we see such, um, such a potential in the technology, but we also know that it, there is a shadow side and how we deal with that in terms of companies, in terms of the state, in terms of social platforms, right, uh, is is going to be uh, a question that companies and enterprises will have to deal with. It's not something to the side. It's something that that they will be engaging with with this upcoming generation as well. Thank you, Doctor. Before we leave this question, Cheryl, do you have any more to add? I, I was listening with great interest because I completely agree uh, with what the doctor was saying. And, and in addition to that, the, um, the, the uh, technology is sort of building upon itself. So it's not the panacea. It's not the answer to everything. I, I agree. It's human first. It's people first. The values have to um, be aligned. I agree with him that there's the shadow side. I, like, for example, AI is a great example where AI was being glamorized and now we realize that AI has bias and that it's not necessarily everything that we thought it was going to be. And so I think that it's inherent on us as humans to, uh, you know, we are, the technology is programmed by us humans. So it behooves us to have those, those um, higher intentions, those higher values to link it and to catch those discrepancies and those shadows that, that the doctor pointed out so, so quickly and so rightly is that we have to be on top of this, not to look and glamorize technology as, as a savior, if you will, but more or less look at it as an enabler of creating um, economic realities that we all want to participate in, business opportunities. Um, so I would just add that I that I think that uh, the human values piece is, is is absolutely needed in order to ensure technology does not become something that runs us, for sure. No question. Thank you so much. Uh, we've come to a question uh, that has came in, and we want to hear, and we hear the expression new normal a lot. What do you think the new normal will look like Okay, and this question is actually directed to both Cheryl and Lawrence. So I want to be clear on this. This question is asking, we hear the expression new normal a lot. So what do you think the new normal will look like? And Cheryl, I want to begin that with you. And then I'm going to go to you, doctor. Well, first of all, I don't think there is, uh, when people say new normal, it's like, I, my first question is like, what is normal? <laughs> because, uh, you know, when you're, when you're living in constant change, which we all are, I think normal is constantly being redefined, you know, and, and so I would say that the new normal from a corporate standpoint is that, and from a business standpoint, the new normal is change. The new normal is flexibility. The new normal is agility. The new normal is leaders who need to be able to pivot from a standard hierarchical way of leading and, and running a business to a much more organic, holistic, bureaucracy type model of the workplace. I think the new normal is a hybrid. There's going to be in-office 
uh, realities that people will still come back into the office and then there's going to be this heightened remote work reality. Companies like Twitter and Google are saying we're going fully remote from now on. They're, they're going to use uh, WeWork hubs and hubs and things like that. And some businesses um, are already doing that and have been doing that pre-pandemic. So the new normal, uh, I'd say we need to be flexible, agile, that business needs to look at ways to add value through uh, their values as, as a business provider, but also looking at uh, what we've been talking about in this interview around the different generational needs and what they're looking for and how they can benefit from all the change that's going on. So if it's requiring a, a new level of adaptation in our personal lives, in our professional lives, the way we run our businesses, the way we lead, and I would say the key word to that is flexibility and agility. And I would say it starts with mindset. If you can't wrap your head and mind around the fact that things are not fixed, not all things, some things will never change, but generally we are living in a perpetual reality of change. I think that's our new normal. Gotcha, gotcha. thank you so much. How about you, doctor? Well, uh, that's uh, that's an amazing answer, Cheryl. Um, thank you. Uh, you know, the, the desire to return to normal is very strong. I was reading in the Financial Times just a few days ago that there are actual apps that recreate the sounds of an office that you can play at home, right? And so, so there is a desire, you know, the, the reluctance to change a little bit uh, is, uh, is kind of deeply ingrained uh, in some ways. And uh, I couldn't agree with uh, Cheryl Moore, obviously. Um, it'll be a continuous process of discovery uh, and it's hard to see where it's going because we seem uh, as societies divided and polarized. Uh, but, you know, there are, there are, there are signs. As uh, Cheryl's mentioning, some of it will be good. I mean, nine out of 10 workers or thereabouts who've had a taste of working uh, from home want to be free to choose, you know, when the restrictions ease, where they, where they should work. So that is, you know, one change. But generally speaking, I would say this. Um, our fate, I think, is to muddle through. We're gonna have to muddle through. There's plenty of precedent in our own experience how societies and communities emerge or can emerge stronger, can emerge stronger uh, from the experience of, of adversity. And I would say that the new normal, whatever it is, will depend on how we answer some questions. Um, uh, how are we going to treat people? Uh, how do we lower people's blood pressure and make them not terrified of the future in some ways? And the key point, is, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, is that we do have that power. And I think that is the one of the kind of silver threads that is running through this conversation is that we have the power, the human agency, to be able to shape the future, not completely control it, but I would say shape it, as uh, Yogesh and, uh, and Cheryl have said in, the, you know, in their remarks. So, and that's what people have done up and down the centuries. They've tried to change things for the better, and they've tried to grapple with some of the kind of uh, uh, major forces of history, and we've muddled through. So we're not doing too badly so far. Oh, great, great. Uh, Yogesh, I'm going to ask you to also chime in not only on what we just asked, but the next question I wanted to ask you as well. So I want you to do both. And that next question sure. was, can the pace of innovation continue? So I want you to speak on what we just talked about a new normal. And I want you to talk about, can the pace of this sure. innovation continue? Yeah. And then look, I think that's a, you know, great, uh, both, both parts of the question, right? And, um, you know, on the new normal side, I mean, you know, just to give a little bit of perspective from a BMO side, 
you know, we are in the client servicing business, right? And, you know, I think we never ever imagined, at least, you know, in the banking side, it, it, it is it is a sacrilege if you aren't in front of your clients, you aren't, you know, making that human connection. And I would say over the last six, seven months, you know, we've had to transform our business model completely to take advantage of technology, right? So it's 100% remote. And I think to the question around, you know, new normal, I think we're going to see, I think some parts of that, I think stay, you know, even when we go back to the normal. So especially for, you know, in the client servicing side, I think we're going to see, I think, a permanent change with respect to like how we conduct business, uh, at least, you know, from a BMO perspective. Um, and then I think with respect to your second question, you know, Eric, I think on the pace of innovation, I think we're only seeing that happen. Uh, I mean, you know, you leave and breathe this in Silicon Valley every single day. And, you know, you meet with like all these entrepreneurs and, you know, venture capitalists who are, you know, in, who are taking a real view into what and how, you know, things are changing um, and what should happen with respect to how to make things better uh, with respect to, you know, you know, through technology or through innovation. So we are already seeing, I think, a lot of capital kind of going, you know, into or being committed into startups or into you know areas where you're going to see a lot of great innovation you know whether it's in terms of like how we work um how we get connected uh new norms around security around privacy uh, around medical sciences right so i think if anything one thing is pretty clear that the pace of innovation uh you know is going to get accelerated i think because of what we've just been facing uh, Yogi, thank you so much. With this conversation that we've had today, uh, talking about the impact of these changes and the experience of we're living in, how it impacts our younger generation, we've also been able to talk about how it impacts how we do business. Uh, one thing uh, that has definitely came forward is uh, our experts have helped many of us uh, instead of fearing the future, get a little more comfortable with what the future might look like. I mean, no one can predict it exactly, uh, but removing the fear of uncertainty seems to be uh, a, a, a major opportunity for all of us, right? I, I was just on a phone call with my mother last night on FaceTime, and I realized I don't remember the last time she's actually dialed my number. She actually FaceTimes me every time. So I see every generation starting to embrace uh, technology. Uh, but I would love, uh, uh, Cheryl, if you don't mind, maybe, you know, giving just a, uh, a, a just a last closing thoughts around, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, the, the next three to five years, which you can possibly see with that. And then I close right after that. I would love for you to just give one more thought about that. Well, I think, you know, what, what Dr. Lawrence said about, you know, our job is to lower the blood pressure of everyone as we deal with uncertainty. I think that was really succinctly said and well said about the future. Nobody has a crystal ball. Uh, nobody can predict the future. What we can do is look at the past and the patterns and, and look at uh, how we've dealt with those past challenges and situations. And then what we can do is do what humans do best, which is come up with that mindset of resolve and look at how can we solve the challenges that are before us now. So I would say quite simply in the next three to five years, uh, further to what we all mentioned today on, on the interview, everyone's input around uh, the, the, the new normal is change, the new normal is technology innovation, uh, that from a business standpoint, leaders are going to need to increase their agility and ability to lead in this new normal, to lead remote teams versus 
you know, just an in-office team? What does that look like? What does that mean? I think we're going to see an increase of shared leadership, which means that everyone's going to have to increase their leadership abilities, whether they have that by title or not. Uh, we're going to see an increase in accountability and autonomy. Um, but more than that, uh, you know, I'm an optimist at heart, so I see the next three to five years. We're going to look back at 2020 and we're all going to say, oh my gosh, can you believe what we all lived through? And can you believe the innovation that it forced each of us personally, professionally, and corporately to have to endure? So I think we're going to look back at this as a pivotal time of, of, of our reality where we all had to adapt and change. And I choose as an optimist to say that I think we'll be looking back with gratitude and saying, thank goodness this happened so that we could listen to the Gen Cs and the Gen Zs and all the generations coming together, working together collaboratively to create the future that we want to create. Uh, thank you so much for share, Cheryl for sharing that. Uh, I've, I've, our, all of our goals, not to just to survive this, but uh, fortunately, I believe we will all thrive through this um, together in the way that you just described. So I want to thank you, Cheryl. I want to thank you, Yogesh. I want to thank you, Doctor, uh, for these great conversations today. To everyone watching, I want to thank you for engaging with us. And if you would like to watch the previous six episodes of this series, please visit bmo.com forward slash expert conversations. Until next time, thank you all so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Don't forget to visit bmo.com forward slash expert conversations. That's bmo.com forward slash expert conversations to watch videos with our experts and hear more insights from BMO. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Inc. and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. 
To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.